You may be seated. I don't want you to stand up the whole time. That is a cruel and unusual punishment. Well, welcome to 116 Bible Church. If you don't know me, my name is Sean. I'm the associate pastor here, and we are very happy, very blessed to have you here to worship the one true and living God with us this morning. Sorry, one second. I am. This is right in my face. I want to do that. That's better. Okay, there we go. All right. Well, friends, family, this morning I want to talk to you about giving. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's what we talked about last time I was up here. This morning we're going to continue with our series through the book of 1 Samuel. So uh, I will go ahead and give you just a moment to find that. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we are actually going to be, Lord willing, finishing chapter 1 this morning. So that will be starting in verse 21 and going through the to the end of verse 28. So that is 1 Samuel chapter 1. Beginning in verse 21. Give you just one more moment to find it. In case you don't know, 1 Samuel comes right before 2 Samuel. But it comes right after Ruth, so I mean, it's not quite that intuitive. It's not super intuitive. There's no like zero Samuel or half Samuel, so to give you that kind of clue. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, if you have found it and you are able, I ask that you would please briefly stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Again, that is 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. And the Word of God says, The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Let's pray. Father, heavenly Lord, we come before your throne this morning, God. Lord, just in awe. God, in awe of your word, God, in awe that you, the creator of heaven and earth, the sustainer of all that exists, would love us and care for us so, so much that you would communicate with us. 
And that's what we have just enjoyed. This is what we have just read this morning, God. And I pray that we would receive this as your word. As the gracious gift of communication from our creator, from our sustainer, from our Lord, our Savior, and our friend to us. And may your spirit take your word and use it to make us more like Christ and less like the people we were when you found us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so we are in 1 Samuel chapter 1, hopefully, by the grace of God, wrapping up chapter 1 today. And um, just real quick, let's do a brief review of where we've been so far in chapter 1. Um, and we started with um, uh, a man named Elkanah and his family. Um, Elkanah and his two wives, one who was bearing him sons and, and children and another who was not. Um, and the really uh, what we see here is the focus is less on the man Elkanah and more on the wife who is not um, not able to have children and and the struggle that she's going through, not just internally, but the torment she's receiving from what whom the Bible calls her rival. Um, the Elkanah's other wife. And the deep turmoil and anguish that that, that, that is causing her. And we see here even uh, when we started this, this book, um, we stopped at verse 7 so that we didn't jump too quickly from problem to solution because the process wasn't quite so quick for Hannah. It was a it wasn't a simple transition from verse 7 to verse 8. It was a long, drawn-out process. It was her life. And so we, we stopped at verse 7 in order to reflect on that. And then Brother Jeff picked up and um, with Hannah's trip to the temple and her prayer to the Lord. And even um, continuing on to the results of that all the way to verse 20 that he covered last week regarding um, the birth of their son, Samuel, um, who they named Samuel. And as Jeff touched on last week, the, words, uh, the name Samuel can have a couple of possible meanings. It can mean heard of God or requested of God. And so what an appropriate name for a child that was so wanted, so desired, and so prayed for, prayed for before he even existed. And so that is what they named their son, the one whom we have request, requested of God. And he has fulfilled his promise and given to us. And that's verse 20. And then we transition to where we are this morning, verse 21, which picks up with the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. And so after the birth of Samuel, we see we see no change in the behavior of Elkanah 
we see him continuing to faithfully. It's not this, well, I got what I wanted. I don't need to do anything anymore. It's no, God provided. God promised and he gave. And now my, my prayers, my petitions are filled with much more gratitude, much more thankfulness, much more appreciation to the God who gives and the God who saves than they were before. And so he goes up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice. And it also says to pay his vow. Elkanah didn't make a vow. Hannah did. But what we see here by it being referred to as Elkanah's vow is what what we're seeing Elkanah who instead of overruling his wife and saying you are making a rash promise and saying, telling her to forget that, he, he took that vow on as his own as the head of his household and he said the vow she made in the temple is now my vow and that is the vow we are going to keep to the Lord which is why I think it's that it's supposed to be a little bit um, maybe not shocking but kind of abrupt when we transition from verse 21 to 22 when Hannah dis- does not go up and says to Alcon her husband uh, not until the child is weaned, your translation may say, or uh, mine says, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And this wasn't a delay of the promise. Keep in mind where this is ancient Israel here. They, they didn't have, uh, one, they didn't have formula, and two, they didn't have really a guarantee of fresh, clean water. So uh, this child's sustenance was... Um, he received from his mother. So this whole idea, uh, children were often breastfed uh, for at minimum two years, possibly up to four, just depending on the circumstances of the family. And so what we have here is uh, is Hannah saying, well, I don't want to give my son to the Lord and it essentially be a, a dead sacrifice because he won't make it. So um, when the child is weaned, when the child can provide, can live on food, and not, it doesn't have to receive anything from me, then I will take the child to the Lord and leave him there. So what we see here is is a, an express intention of Hannah to fulfill, not just Elkanah to fulfill Hannah's vow, but Hannah to fulfill Hannah's vow. She's not, she's not second-guessing. She's not backsliding. She's remaining steadfast and faithful. And keep, and keep in mind, this, this isn't something she could do on her own. This is a gift of God. She is being blessed, graced with the strength to continue to carry out her vow. And so we see here Hannah saying, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him. As soon as, she's not saying, I'll wait till the child is weaned, and then on the next yearly trip we make, I'll take him up there. She's saying, as soon as the child is weaned, I will make a special trip. If that is sometime before or after the next annual trip, I'll make a special trip, and I will deliver on my promise to give my son to the Lord. And so that's, and so Elkanah, her husband, hearing this, doesn't chastise, he doesn't, doesn't jump down her throat, he doesn't say, 
we're in danger of not keeping our promise or this is a silly promise. He instead says, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have winged him. Only may the Lord establish his word. Your translation may say, may the Lord establish your word. Both of those are fine translations. The idea here being, may the Lord empower you to fulfill your promise. Because the promise you've made to the Lord, the Lord himself has guaranteed by providing for you the son that you pray for, that you ask for, that you want for. So, do what seems best to you because I trust I trust you, but I but more than that, I trust God to continue to empower you and to lead you and guide you in the fulfilling of the promises that, that we have made. So may the Lord fulfill and establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she knew him. And that's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, she continued to nurse her son until her son could could uh, live and be sustained by food that he did not receive from his mother. And this whole idea being that that Hannah, though in this this obviously may have been to some degree heartbreaking. Um, she's fulfilling this promise that she made, and so the the idea of the idea of promises, the ideas of covenants, the ideas of vows, the Bible takes very seriously. That's why there's such there's such strong cautions against making promises to God, vows to Him, rashly. There's the, the Bible warns us against saying to God, God, if you do, if you provide me this, if you give me this, I will do X, Y, and Z. Why? Because how quick are we to forget when we receive that which we have asked from God? Just exactly our responsibility our promise to do X, Y, and Z. I'll answer that for you. It's very quick. We are very quick to forget the promises we have made to God when we ask Him for things. We are very quick to, rather than be intentional and grateful to the point to where we want to fulfill our promises to instead take what was given and hoard it for ourselves. God, if you just give me a better job, I will give so much more. God, if you just give me a bigger house, I'll have the church over more. God, if you just give me a better car, I'll use it to carry your word with me farther and faster. When instead we receive those things and the nature of our request is made known, we weren't, we weren't looking to glorify God. We were looking to get something. We were looking to receive something from Him that we have now elevated above Him in our lives. And the Bible is quite clear here that I, I think the Bible is trying to paint 
which as, as explicitly as possible, this is not the case here. God has empowered this couple to fulfill the promise that they made. And by doing so, shown the love and the worship and the praise and the glory that they ascribe to the giver over and above the gift. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Again, that was anywhere between two and four years. I think where I think what we see at the end of verse 24 when it talks about the age of the child and how he was young, it was probably closer to two years. Um, I don't think the Bible was just like, oh, by the way, in case you didn't know, two to four years is young. I think the Bible is saying, no, she weaned this child quickly. And she did so urgently. So verse 24 says, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. Your translation might say three bulls. That's okay. We're just dealing with a minor disagreement between the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and the Masoretic text, which is the Hebrew retranslation. It is okay. It's not a big deal. The, the point being, she went up there to make the vow or votive offering that was required by the law when you were promising your vow, A, and when you were fulfilling your vow, B. And that's actually, you can actually see that in Leviticus, I believe it's Leviticus, no, I'm sorry, I believe it's Numbers 15. And in there it talks about what's required of a, of a votive offering or a vow offering. When you make a vow to the Lord, it talks about a bull, um, it actually talks about three-tenths of an ephah of flour um, and wine. And the idea here being that she brought all three, and if your translation is referring to, talks about the three bulls rather than a three-year-old bull, she did so in abundance because she didn't bring three-tenths of an ephah of flour, she brought a whole ephah. And that's just one-tenth more than is required for three bulls. So she probably brought three bulls, an ephah of flour, and a big old skin of wine, bag of wine essentially, in order to pour out her things. The idea here being she did so greatly and abundantly and so much more than was required of her. She gave not out of her abundance, but I mean, the three bulls? That's a lot. I mean, and, and keep in mind, the law had provisions for families who couldn't do one bull. Like, if you can't do a bull, then you do a lamb. You can't do a lamb, you do a goat. If you can't do a goat, you do a bird of some kind. And so the idea that she brought one or three bulls is the idea that she gave the maximum possible. She gave as much as she could. She And she didn't just give the maximum possible or as much as she could. And it wasn't this, well, I guess I should do this because I got something from God and now 
it'll look bad if I don't. What'll he? What will? What will the priest say? What will my husband think if I don't? If I don't thank God properly? No, her heart so overflowed with love and joy and gratitude and appreciation for the Lord and His provision that she was happy to do. She was happy to sacrifice unto the Lord as much as she could possibly take with her. I mean, taking one taking one to three bowls, <laughs> taking all that stuff on that trip to Shiloh probably was not easy. Um, I've never heard cattle, heard of cattle before, but I imagine it's tough. I'm, whether you got one, whether you got three, whether you got 300, I imagine it's not easy. Um, but she did it, um, taking this sacrifice to the Lord. And she brought him... Samuel, her son, to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Again, I think a clear and explicit reference to the idea that she wasn't procrastinating in her fulfillment of her vow, but she fulfilled her vow early. And I think probably around the age of two, we see Samuel being weaned, and I have a hard time seeing that and not having to think back to Pharaoh ordering the destruction of boys age two and younger and then forward to the to Caesar's uh, or sorry Herod's order to destroy boys ages two and younger I think the point here is to see Christ the point here is to see and he was young is to see that this instance is pointing forward to the ultimate promised one. To the one who isn't just promised to one woman, to one family, but is promised to the world. Is promised to God's people across all nations, boundaries, tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations. The one who was promised to come forward, the son of the promise we see Verse 25, then they slaughtered the bull, yours may say slew, yours may say sacrifice, that's fine. And they brought the child to Eli. Eli was the priest in the temple. Eli was the one who was there when years prior, Hannah, out of the anguish of her soul, out of the brokenness of her heart, out of the pain that so enraptured her is crying out to the Lord and is doing so so fervently and so loudly and so earnestly that Eli is taken aback and thinks she's drunk. And that's, that's a little worrisome. Why? Because if that kind of prayer should be common anywhere, it should be in the temple. If that kind of prayer should be common anywhere, it should be where God has promised to meet with his people. And yet it's so uncommon that Eli is taking a bath that he thinks this woman must be out of her mind and drunk. And she says, no, Lord, I'm in pain. I want something so badly. And it's causing me so much pain. He's not giving it to me. And I don't know what 
to do. So I'm here. I'm here crying out to my God. Because I know if anybody can give it to me, it's him. And Eli, who is so overwhelmed by this woman's earnestness, he says, if you go back, if you go back to verse 17, he says, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grants you your petition that you have made to him. So in verse 26, we see Hannah approaching Eli. And she says, Oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Now this exact wording is very significant for at least two reasons. The first one being to help remind Eli. You remember me, sir? I'm the woman who stood by you in this very temple years ago praying to God. And just as you said, he gave me what I asked for. Another reason being, with this exact wording, which is almost identical to the very words that Eli spoke to her those years before, we are seeing that she dwelled on that promise. That promise was dear to her. That promise of fulfillment of her heart's desire was something she didn't just think about and then forget about it. It's something she thought about. She dwelled on not just until she gave birth, but the whole time she was weeding that child in order to prepare him to fulfill the vow she had made to God. She is saying, I thought about this every day since you saw me last. And then we fast forward to the New Testament where we see another son who was given. And how so many in Israel refused to believe it because they didn't hold on to that promise because they didn't cherish it, because they didn't hold it in their hearts and think on it daily. But one man and his wife did. One man and his wife did. And then when that child was born and he grew up and he went out to start his public ministry, A handful of men did. They remembered that promise. And they held on to it closely. And they 
thought about it then. So that when he came, when the fulfillment came, their hearts were overjoyed. Their hearts overflowed with love and gratitude to the one true living God. Now, friends, I'm not saying God's going to give you everything you've ever asked for. I'm not saying God is going to answer every prayer you make with a yes. Some of God's greatest graces and mercies are when he says no. Because what we want will destroy us. Because what we want could, 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 if possible, shipwreck our faith. But I am saying that what God has promised to give you, He has delivered. And He has just delivered in the tradition of Hannah. He did so exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. That's what God has done. That is how he fulfills his promises. That's why when Jesus prophesied his own arrest and death at the hands of the authorities and the apostles who just couldn't possibly believe it and were expecting military conquest and political victory, God is saying, you don't understand what I'm doing. I'm going to accomplish what you are thinking and so much more. So much more than you can think or ask or even pray to me for. Hannah says, for this child I pray that the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, in verse 28, I have lent him to the Lord, your translation may say dedicated. Your translation may say given. The idea here being Hannah saying, I am returning to the Lord. What was requested? Well, the, the vow, the promise that was made on this very spot so many years ago. And as long as he lives, he is lent given or dedicated to the Lord. Hannah didn't just give out of her abundance with the bulls and the flour and the wine. She gave the very thing she wanted most as she had promised to do. The Lord hasn't just given meat and bread and wine, he has given you the very thing he loves the most. His son. That's what he's given us. And we come here week in and week out. And it becomes so old hat. And it becomes so casual. And it becomes so ordinary. And we forget how extraordinary it truly is. We forget how sacrificial that gift was. We forget that it actually cost God something to save us. We forget that it 
lost Hannah to keep her now. But whereas Hannah's son was given to the Lord, and separated from her. God's Son was given to God's people, but also to God Himself. And in that giving, He has fulfilled not just His promise, but also, he has met our lack. And he has met not just our lack, but he has succeeded where we have failed. He sent him to us, for us, so that where we have looked at the law and tried or scoffed or even flat out ignored he sent him to accomplish those things to fulfill those things to meet that standard on our behalf because he knows without that we were done. We would have been separated from him forever. And he, Samuel, worshiped the Lord there in the temple in the presence of God. Eventually taking over as the last judge of Israel and even being a transitional figure between judge and prophet in the sense of not a ruler over Israel but a helper to the king. Samuel was that transitional figure and in Christ we have a transition another transitional figure from where the law is our schoolmaster to where the spirit leads and guides God's people. And so what we see here as we continue throughout the book of 1 Samuel, or all of Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, is we see Christ. We're not just talking about some people who lived a long time ago in a land so far away that most of us will never even get there, much less think about often. We're looking for Christ because he's here. He is in the pages. He's in the verses of this very book. And we see in one way or another every person, every event, every word is pointing us to him, to the one who is the ultimate promised one and who hasn't just left us who didn't just die and is gone but died returned 
ascended and is coming back. So as we continue throughout Samuel, look for Christ because he's there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come before your throne, Lord, to give you the praise, the honor, the glory, the majesty, the worth that you are due. We don't have the words. We don't have the strength. We don't have, we don't even have the want to give you the praise that you are worthy of, but God, your spirit. Your spirit that you have sent to reside upon and within your people takes our feeble attempts and turns them into something fit for a king. And our king takes those and gives them to you, the Father. May we not be so flippant, be so casual about what it costs you to save us. But may the story of Hannah remind us of the cost that you paid for us to make us your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.